0: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
2: I'm Jesse Bayless.
0: And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Modern Problems, released December 5th, 1981. It was written by Ken Shapiro, Tom Sherriman, and Arthur Sellers, directed by Ken Shapiro and released by 20th Century Fox. Arthur Digby Sellers? Presumably. No. Who is that? He <laughs> He wrote. He wrote the bulk of the series branded (laughs) oh my gosh bulk of the series heartbeat producer michael shamburg and caddyshack writer doug kenny had a deal with ken shapiro to produce a film despite kenny's title suggestion teenage communists from outer space which i would much rather see shapiro had his heart set on a telekinesis comedy to parody the recent trend of films like carrie and the fury
2: oh i thought you were saying it was the same movie i'm like that title makes no sense no it
0: doesn't (laughs) It's clear that Chevy Chase was good friends with Shapiro because otherwise I feel like there's no way he would agree to this script. Not that he's been super discriminating thus far in the 80s. Yeah, As we discussed in our review of Under the Rainbow, Doug Kenny had passed away shortly after the release of Caddyshack and he was granted a posthumous producer credit here. The film's production was actually delayed six months due to Under the Rainbow's production problems pushing the film way over schedule. The film opened to dreadful reviews, but more than paid for itself, bringing in $25 million from an $8 million budget. This cut was edited down from a raunchier R-rated version due to studio pressure, but I can't imagine that would have saved it.
1: So wait, did the R-rated version go theatrical?
0: No. Okay. We open in the break room of an air traffic control tower. A man in the corner is watching a children's program on a television, which is actually a clip from director Ken Shapiro's previous film, The Groove Tube. Shapiro himself is voicing the character of Coco the Clown addressing the children in the audience. A man named Pete is called back to work to aid in the landing of several incoming flights. It looks like the same set from last season's Airplane, but an even bigger mess. A man spills coffee on his control board and uses the resulting sparks to light a cigarette. One of the men mentions that the pilot of an incoming flight on his docket is supposedly dead. We see Chevy Chase as Max Fiedler, speaking with a flight from Tunis while simultaneously trying to order a tuna sandwich from a sandwich vendor in the tower. And for a second, he's confusing the pilot by mentioning the sandwich price, but he immediately diffuses the misunderstanding, and so there's no joke here.
1: There's no joke anywhere.
0: Right. (laughs) Max stands up, and he lets Pete take his chair before heading out. This film was actually made during the air traffic controller strike of the early 80s.
2: So the tower was an actual tower? Yeah, they probably just just used LAX.
0: (laughs) Reagan was like, shoot in here, guys. And also, can you help us land some planes? Because I just fired all the air traffic controllers.
2: So did did we... During that strike, did planes just not go anywhere
0: they just fired everybody and brought in scabs
2: oh so okay so we didn't interrupt service it just
0: they were just like guess what you're in a beginner's hands. I gonna say
2: it's just all inexperienced yeah. people <laughs> like i think i could do that most men think they can land a plane I mean, so they yeah. all
0: did apparently i don't remember <laughs> any uh crashing into lax at that time <laughs> i'm glad they didn't because my mom was on a bunch of those planes in the parking lot of the airport max walks up to his car just before some kids would have scratched the length of it with a can opener like literally a can opener that they're dragging yeah. along a whole line of cars.
1: What I was hoping for would be like because the kids are coming up at him and he scares them away.
0: And then I, he notices they already got his car.
1: Well, I was going to say like because his car is fine. But I was gonna hoping that as he pulled away, you would see that the other side is completely oh, scratched okay. up.
0: Or that the car just the front half of it pulls away. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> they chopped it completely in half of the can opener. On the way home, he winds open the moonroof until the handle comes off in his hand. He slams on his brakes before rear-ending a truckload of chickens and since he can't close his roof, he's getting doused in a sudden rainstorm and chicken feathers.
1: So I'm already confused
0: because... What is this movie about?
1: Well... At first, like, we're with him in the air traffic control center, and he just seems like he's lazy and lackadaisic about his job. Yeah. About being an air traffic controller. He doesn't but really But
0: he care. also isn't terrible at it. Like, we yeah. didn't see him fuck up. And
1: then, you know, these kids come, and they try to keep about to key his, his car, but he scares them off. So he's intimidating. It's like, Yeah. But now everything after this is that he's just a, a screw-up. Yeah. That, that –
2: well, okay, but yes, sort of. But after at this point, I was like, okay, there's just things that are problematic happening around him. Modern problems. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm getting it. At least I thought I was. Right. But after, but after this point, like it's not.
0: The title stops making sense right here.
2: Yeah, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, so so it's no longer about technology or issues that are 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 new to this generation or anything like that. That's not at all what the movie's about.
0: Right. So here what what made us think it was a modern problem is the moonroof is busted and then he goes to take the tape out of his tape deck and it's eating mm. the audio cassette. And then he's like fully spider webbed in magnetic tape. I, I honestly feel like the reason it's called Modern Problems is because they thought Chevy Chase was a Charlie Chaplin type and that they were doing the, the new version of that Modern Times movie, but with Chevy Chase, a different yeah. cha-cha actor. <laughs> And uh, and he's, first of all, he's not Charlie Chaplin. But also, that movie was about technology and how people's lives were changing at the time. And this one isn't after this point.
2: Yeah, as soon as he's out of this car, yeah, everything he does that's a problem is his own fault.
0: Right. Such as, when he pulls up to his building, he parks alongside a tall garbage pile and a pipe sticking out of it, scratches the side of his car much worse than the kids at the airport parking lot would have done. I mean, he would have just had two scratches, but... He probably could have fixed him with one uh, one payment. His phone is ringing as he enters the apartment and he catches the tail end of a voicemail from his girlfriend Darcy breaking up with him in the wake of a recent fight over his possessive habits. He plants bugs. He pays people to keep tabs on her wherever she goes. She took the cat and most of her things. Max notices she took her diaphragm but left the empty box. Do you guys recall the last time we saw Chevy Chase mention a diaphragm? Caddyshack? No, more recent than that. Over the rainbow? Under the rainbow. Under the (laughs) rainbow.
2: Somewhere around that rainbow. (laughs) After
0: uh, when Carrie Fisher leaves the train station, he's like, You dropped your diaphragm. You dropped your uh, diaphragm. (laughs) The next message on the machine is Max calling to apologize for the same argument and inviting her to a fancy dinner at Dubrovnik's. Max keeps the appointment by himself, and Dubrovnik is sorry to see that Darcy couldn't make it.
1: Oh, and I saved scraps for her care. A cat couldn't make it either.
0: Max sits down, and a woman in the opposite booth is quickly making eyes at him and filleting an olive on a toothpick. Max freaks out and looks away when the woman's husband returns, but then he notices that the man is making flirtatious eyes at another woman whose husband is flirting with yet another woman all around the restaurant. Max stands and leaves, but Dubrovnik sends him home with a small bag of scraps for the cat. Here's something for pussy. What? Snopes, for Miss Darcy's cat. Oh, oh, thank you, Dubrovnik. On the walk home, he passes a display of a mannequin, with arms outstretched and pressed against the storefront window. He touches the glass on the opposite side and apologizes out loud to Darcy, wherever she is. Darcy is in the apartment when he returns, and she seems ready and willing to talk things out, but when prompted to share his feelings, Max is speechless, and so she leaves again. Want
2: me to start? Yeah, you start. Okay. I will. Good,
1: okay. You uh, want me to start? I mean, you're sure you want to? Uh, you want me to start?
2: Never mind. Good night, Max.
0: The next day, he's out for a bike ride with his ex-wife Lorraine, played by Mary Kay Place. Lorraine sides with Darcy to an extent because Max's surveillance is stalkery and she has to take lunch meetings with businessmen as a part of her work in sales. It's a similar job to those held by Stallone's wife in Nighthawks, or Albert Brooks' girlfriend in our previous modern movie, Modern Romance, where the pretty girl in the office was forced to essentially go on lunch dates with the company's clients to seal business deals. Max invites himself to his ex-wife's place for a dinner cooked by her, which she is weirdly receptive to.
2: Okay, maybe you'll get lucky. I'm horny.
0: Max doesn't want to get his hopes up, and Lorraine warns him that his negative thinking will be his downfall. She notices a man in a wheelchair shadow boxing for exercise as his caregiver wheels him around the park and lorraine points him out as a positive role model turns out he's an old high school buddy of max's brian stills played by brian doyle murray he introduces his caretaker dorita from port-au-prince and informs them that he was paralyzed in nam but then elaborates that he was actually sleeping with an agent of the Viet Cong who had ammo stored under her bed until he accidentally ignited it with a cigarette.
2: God, talk about sex with fireworks.
0: (laughs) He invites them both to a party he's hosting tonight. He owns an up-and-coming publishing house, and one of his prized authors, Mark Winslow, is having a press party tonight. When they get to the party, it looks like one of the clubs from Cruising, and Max is sure they're at the wrong place, until Lorraine spots Brian upstairs. He must have just been watching the door the whole time. Yeah. On his way to the bathroom, Max finds his path blocked by dancing leathermen, and he has to pretend to dance and wind his way around them. Upstairs together, Lorraine and Brian are hitting it off. Max is disheartened to see Darcy and her friend, Barry, a local theatrical producer, here together. They're here for Mark's party too. Max tells Lorraine and the author, Mark, about his encounter with Darcy, and he's off-put by Mark's take on the situation. See, I would hope you'd come to the healthy conclusion. She's a manipulating bitch. Max invites Lorraine to leave, but she wants to stay and chat with Brian some more, so Max leaves alone. On his way out, we get a bit of tell not show from Lorraine about Max's character.
2: Poor guy. He's a prince who thinks he's a
0: frog. We have not gotten that impression yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Why does she say that? He
0: seems like a creep who thinks he's not a creep.
2: Well, yeah. he's he's an insufferably insecure man child yeah. who has such insane expectations of his partner that I'm like of course she wants to leave you Why, why should she stay
0: he's not an adorable prince on his way home Max is needlessly tailgating and honking at a truck overflowing with green foamy sludge There's no car tailgating him this time, so the easy fix is just to slow down and avoid the spill. Yeah. But instead, he continues honking and catches wave after wave of slime across his windshield. He gets the full Alex Mack. Yeah. Like (laughs) GC-161 all over him. (laughs) It continues to leak in through the still-open moonroof. As he passes the truck later, which he could also have apparently done the whole time, we see that the truck is labeled nuclear waste along the side of the tanker. As he arrives home, he's glowing green like that time Mr. Burns was confused for an alien. (laughs) Max gets inside, lays down, and dreams about being an airplane himself and flying through the sky. He radios to the tower where Darcy and Barry are making out on a date instead of helping him land safely. While he sleeps, a framed photo of Darcy begins spinning in the air and then rockets across the room into a wall and shatters. In overhead angles, we can see that the Chevy Chase-shaped plane is affixed with lights along his back and one at the end of each arm, and Chevy was reportedly hospitalized by an accident shooting this sequence when the lights short-circuited through his back and neck, causing him to pass out.
1: (gasps) Oh my god. Uh.
0: The next morning, Max pours himself a cup of coffee and a mug with Darcy's name on it, and after he notices it, the cup keeps sliding out of his reach whenever he tries to grab for it. Alongside each attempt, a caller on the radio is asked to scream into his phone. I can't hear you, Billy, one more time. And when the mug finally shatters on the floor, the entire kitchen wall comes to life and jostles violently, throwing appliances and food to the floor. We cut to a local basketball court where Max is losing a game to Brian.
1: (laughs) That's it. (laughs) 21-6. Nice trying that last one, Max.
0: Brian asks what's wrong and assumes it's because he slept with Lorraine last night, but Max didn't even know that. He tries to tell Brian about the telekinesis, and Brian thinks he's just dissociating from a tantrum wherein he broke a bunch of shit in anger. Later that day, Max is taking a shower and drops his soap in the kitty litter box. He's able to concentrate enough to lift it and wash the soap with his telekinesis without ever touching it.
1: It wouldn't matter. I would never use that soap. What? Yeah. Self-cleaning.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why even use the soap? Just wish all the dirt off of your hands with your magic powers.
2: Well, th- Okay. This is a problem that I have with this movie.
0: What are the limits of this power?
2: Well, the power seems to shift from telekinesis to just whatever you can think of yeah. happens. It's it's bizarre, but it's like he doesn't he doesn't manifest things necessarily. So it's like it's not like he's a genie or something yeah. like that, but but
0: But he just makes things But he can control
2: move. anything. It's not necessarily just like moving it. Like it's just
0: yeah, he just like wants for a thing to happen, and then it will happen. I mean, even right. later, he
2: lights something on fire just because right. he wants it, you know. But I'm just, I, I, don't understand what these powers are.
0: They're just different kinesis. <laughs> you have Tella and Pyro and Nosebleed. Uh, uh what would that be? Uh, bloodo. blood-o <laughs> yeah, like kinesis? what is that Nasal power?
2: I don't even know what he's doing there. Is he uh, just He's just imagining going and moving a vessel in this guy's yeah, nose. Yeah, he's squeezing
0: his entire cardiovascular <laughs> yeah. system to force the blood out of his head. He's
1: wringing <laughs> him out.
0: <laughs> we cut to a fancy restaurant where Max dines alone, manipulating the creamers around the table with his powers. By coincidence, I think, Barry and Darcy show up and take another table within eyeshot. Barry seems to suspect that this is no coincidence, and he's still spying on Darcy, but offers to leave the place if this is awkward. He also assures Max that his intentions are pure, and he's here just as a friend, a shoulder to cry on. Darcy leaves the table to use the restroom, and Barry checks out her ass as she walks away. As revenge, Max plans to use his powers for evil against Barry. First, he causes a small trickle of blood from the man's nose, which is also one of the first tricks we saw from Amy Irving in De Palma's The Fury. When Barry tries to stop the bleeding with a napkin, Max makes it bleed more and more profusely until there are literally streams blasting out across the restaurant, and a doctor literally escorts him out of the restaurant for fear he will bleed to death. Max is controlling this fountain by mushing his nose in his hand and spitting water out of his drinking glass. When Darcy returns, Max explains where he went. I don't know why she couldn't have been here the whole time, I didn't even expect her to believe him here when he said this, Yeah, especially since somehow all this blood has magically been cleaned up already.
1: Well, they they took away the entire, like...
2: Yeah, like two waiters come in and like sweep the tables off and immediately put a new place setting down.
0: Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, Yeah, they take take the tablecloth and everything. Later he offers to walk her home, and further he begs her for another chance to fix what they had, and she's very resistant. He asks her out again tomorrow, and she tentatively agrees. I'll, I'll have to check and see if I have any commitments. Commitments? I'm more important than any commitments. See, Max, cut it out. Okay, 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 you're right, I'm sorry. She promises to at least call tomorrow, and they part ways. The next day, he calls her before she can even call him, (sighs) and learns that she forgot that Barry's show is debuting on stage tonight, and she has to cancel their shaky-at-best plan to do anything. It's not like he had reservations. She said she would call him if she didn't have anything to do, and she has something to do.
2: The insecurity of this man, like I realize that that's part of you know his flaw in this movie, yeah. but he, he, it makes him so unlikable. I know that I like he has no redeeming features. Yeah,
0: he accuses her of only pretending to forget about the stage performance. His anger causes his powers to activate a small airplane-shaped ashtray in the air traffic controller break room to lift off the table and dump ash and cigarette butts all over the room as it loops around in the air. The plane crashes into a Matterhorn poster and explodes over the head of controller Pete, sitting on the couch below, with a cigarette overburdened with ash. We cut now to the lobby of the theater before the show, and Barry is the talk of the town. Everyone we've met is here, Barry, Mark, Brian, Darcy, Lorraine, and of course Max, who predictably uses his powers to disrupt and ruin the show.
1: Not just ruin the show, but- Ruin the careers of everyone in the show. Yeah, exactly, like they, they got this very like, this like famous dancer to come in and now his reputation is ruined. Yeah. And completely ruins Barry's career. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This time he picks on a specific dancer who he trips by crossing his eyes. The man falls into the orchestra pit and the supposedly highbrow audience seems to find this hilarious. When the dancer gets back on stage, Max's next move is to send the man sailing through the air and crashing through the backdrop, destroying a large chunk of the set. By now, people are standing to leave the show, which would never happen in a million years if the show were going this monumentally poorly. You'd want to stick around and see what's Mm going to happen. For his third and final trick, Max puffs out his cheeks Satchmo style and the dancer's crotch inflates like a balloon until it's the size of a watermelon and then it pops in his pants. What is Max even doing here, though? Is he literally inflating this guy's testicles to the point of bursting? Like, there's something in his pants inflating and then popping. It's not just the pants inflating like a balloon.
2: But this goes back to the like, what is your power here? Mm-hmm. I don't understand how you're controlling these things.
1: And and is your how is this going to help you get
0: Darcy back? It's not. It's just going to piss off the other guy. Because she's not even into Barry. Barry is obviously heartbroken that his play has been ruined and Darcy asks to be taken home. Right as she tries unlocking her door, Max sneaks up behind her on her porch and she clocks him in the face, mistaking him for a mugger.
1: No, she did the right thing.
0: Yeah, no, she absolutely should have, but that's what happened.
1: This is the reddest of red flags.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're here silently outside my apartment? Let me check your hands real quick and make sure that you don't have any chloroform. (laughs) She invites him inside to treat his injury. We cut right to them having sex later and she asks him to stop for a minute. He leans away from her, and uses his powers to induce an extremely powerful orgasm. He climbs out of bed and crosses to the kitchen in her robe, while magically delivering a second and third orgasm in rapid succession. As soon as he's done it, he feels the need to come clean and admit that these were not his doing, but the result of powers he has somehow gained.
2: Right, but the way he says it, it's, it's not even as if he like, used powers to do something to her. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, this it's, just
0: happened he, and I was here.
2: Well, no, he, he, he was acting like... He convinced her that this yeah. was happening. Like he was, it was mind control. That that like that she, she didn't felt even have way. the orgasms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it, yeah, there wasn't anything happening to her. He he was just causing her to think it was. Yeah. Oh,
1: Okay. Because otherwise, she would immediately notice that there is no one here with me. Because he right.
2: got up to go to the kitchen.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. That makes you know, sense.
1: He's not doing like a Doctor Manhattan where he left a double of himself. Yeah. There's not just a dick
0: wriggling <laughs> around in the sheets. She doesn't understand how he could deny he's causing this, but he claims it was cheating. She's annoyed that he can't just exist in the moment, and we dissolve to the next day as they drive out to a beach house for a weekend retreat, again with all the characters we've met so far.
1: So they're already back together?
0: Yeah. The film is over, by the way. I should mention right now that this is a movie about a guy trying to get his girlfriend back, and he got her back. So this is an epilogue, this last scene. (laughs) Everything that happened so far was the whole movie, And this is just a a post credit scene before the credits. As they make their way down the road, Max asks Darcy if she believes in telekinesis and she categorically denies its existence. When they reach the house, it's an exact duplicate of the Psycho House, which was actually constructed right up the road in Oxnard, on the beach there. Lorraine comes out to greet them and lead them inside. It looks like they have a board laid over the steps like a ramp for Brian, but it's way too steep to yeah, be practical. There's,
1: I mean, there are, like, these, like, little stops, so in theory, like, if he could, like... It would
0: make a funny sound as he careened <laughs> to his death, yes.
1: <laughs> I was thinking... <laughs> I, I was just thinking, like, if he, he'd have to get, like, somehow, like, a full rotation of that wheel and then just take, be able to take a break... <laughs>
0: Lorraine and Darcy find Dorita in the kitchen and mistake her handling of chicken as dinner preparation. Turns out she's doing some kind of voodoo fortune-telling ceremony.
2: According to these chicken gods, there's gonna be an awfully big ruckus
1: here this weekend.
0: Max seems super depressed and I don't totally understand why he's even here. We already gave him his girlfriend back, which was his goal at the beginning of the film, so there's nothing left to do with this character. A Porsche pulls up out front and author Mark Winslow is here. Mark is upset to find his regular room taken and kicks Max and Darcy down to Dorita's room so he can have the master bedroom. But isn't Dorita staying here this weekend? Yeah. She's downstairs right now. When they barge into her room, it's just covered in trash and tribal nonsense. It's just a jumble of random cultures, and nobody would be expected to stay in a room where they can't walk on the floor or sit in a chair. Where's the bed? Dorita says she'll just sleep on the couch downstairs, which I have to assume Max would prefer to this. Yeah dorita fishes a huge lizard out from under the bed and warns max not to hurt a white mouse named randy who is actually another pet of hers i would have assumed it was just food for this lizard but no do lizards eat mice
2: iguanas don't eat mice aren't
0: iguanas just snakes that grew legs on accident the answer know. is no that's think, not true i, feel I
2: think like they, they're think, scavengers they just eat like fruits or bugs or whatever they find yeah
0: i think they would eat a mouse if they, if they could catch it Maybe Randy's too quick for him. Google the diet of an iguana. Be on some kind of a list now. It's a big iguana, though. It's not like one of those like- It's a big iguana. big iguana. Max wants to talk about his powers and uses them to open a stuck window.
2: Could you give that a try? Oh my, did you see that? I did that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: sure.
1: So this is one of those things that I hate In in movies where people have powers, like when they're trying to convince somebody, I have powers. I could literally
0: pick up anything in this room and make it float. But instead, I'm going to open a window.
1: Yeah, and then when I say that I did it and you don't believe me, I I don't just do it again. Yeah, I will offer no further evidence. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's clear he doesn't want her to believe him.
2: They're um, uh, they're herbivores. Hmm. They will occasionally eat animal materials such as insects, other lizards, or small animals. Interesting birds and eggs
0: outside mark is walking around on the beach with a tape recorder and just reciting a list of things he likes including the book roots which he pronounces ruts roots The book not that television horse shit and ends the list with women on beaches right on cue darcy walks by and he strikes up a conversation with her he uses the same line on her against him that he used on him against her i would seriously hope you'd come to the healthy conclusion that he's a manipulating bastard Max watches them talk from the house and again assumes someone is stealing her away, because he still can't trust her. In the kitchen, Dorita tells Darcy Max has a green aura with yellow spots and she should keep an eye on him. We cut back to Dorita's room, where Max is suddenly made up to look like a corpse. All manner of objects float in the air around him, including a Frankenberry doll, a cymbal monkey, a water-drinking bird, a xenomorph, and Randy the mouse dangling by his tail. When Darcy knocks at the door, he drops everything to the floor. She tells Max about his aura and the yellow spots, and he checks a mirror to verify. His face is glowing green, with yellow blobs floating in laps around his head, but Darcy can't see it. Holy shit, it's true.
2: Max, please, what is the matter with you lately? I was kidding.
0: Max says he can't go to dinner like this, but she begs him to come down. She leaves to help Dorita set the table, but Mark calls her into his room for another chat. He pulls a Harvey Weinstein on her by standing there in a towel and then dropping it for what IMDb Trivia calls Dabney Coleman's only nude scene. And can I just say, You have an absolutely breathtaking (laughs) Heine I mean, that thing's good. I want to be friends with it. (laughs) Darcy is not impressed and leaves him standing there. We cut to dinner, where Max is seated, half-conscious, basted in sweat at the head of the table. Mark pokes fun at Max and reveals that he knows the secret. Better yet, why don't you uh, use those powers of yours to pass the potatoes? Brian? You told them? I don't believe you told them.
1: He didn't say it was a secret.
0: Mark thinks Max is just crazy and feigning a mystic illness for attention. He extends to Max a business card offering his services to cure the man, but Max sets the card on fire with his mind and then lifts Mark's chair up to the ceiling.
1: I think he offers the card to Darcy. Oh, does he? Like, I thought like... he
0: was holding it out toward Chevy. No?
1: No, because Chevy's at the head of the table, and he was oh, heading it Oh, he's holding it, across. it straight across. Yeah. Okay. Because
0: you... he says, this is my unlisted number. Oh, okay. Like, you so he's call hitting me. on her. Do you guys recall the last time we saw Dabney Coleman lifted several feet off the ground against his will?
1: That's <laughs> my note, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it? Um,
1: no. He was oh.
0: lifted by eight.
2: Oh, oh, was it 9 to 5? It was 9 to
0: 5. He was connected to the garage door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Max brings Mark down, laying lengthwise in the air over the table, and then spins him around a few times like a rotisserie before dropping him face first into a cake. Mark climbs down from the table embarrassed, and everybody looks at Mark like he caused this until he (laughs) leaves the room. Mark storms out across the beach and into the ocean. Max retreats to his room, and Darcy follows. Brian considers asking Max to leave, but Lorraine talks him out of it and leaves to check on Mark. Alone at the dinner table, Brian listens to the wood creaking until the chandelier falls out of the ceiling and smashes down to the table. Lorraine finds Mark knee-deep in the ocean and only snaps him out of his trance by reminding him of his new Porsche before he is flattened by a huge wave. Darcy finds Max sleeping above the covers. Four feet above her covers. He throws things around the room in anger, so Darcy leaves to get advice from Dorita. Dorita doesn't want to get involved, but an exorcist will just piss the demon off, so she plans to take care of it herself.
2: Okay, so now we are yep. saying that this is a demon?
0: Yeah, because we're doing every, like, mm-hmm. possessed telekinesis movie. So, Reagan had powers in The Exorcist, so now we're doing The Exorcist. Yeah, but
2: he got covered in goo, and it was radioactive, and that's what gave him powers. No, 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 no. Random no. powers. That was <laughs>
0: <laughs> Man, I just came up with that. Fresh off the dome. Mark comes back to the house with a gun. Dorita threatens the demon with her knuckles, and another voice emanates from Max's mouth. Your mama. He shakes the whole room, so Dorita sprinkles a rectangle of demon powder around the bed on the floor. But it's not very effective. The Zool voice becomes a Donald Duck voice.
2: Nobody knows. <laughs> I just think that it's weird. They're they're like doubling down on this demon thing yeah. You know? yeah up up until you know like this moment like I thought we could uh, the whole you, time it was it could have just been him and he could have been angry and mm. he could have been doing all these things but it's just like now you're really just going down the yeah of course he's possessed route
0: yeah it's it's like a completely separate chapter it feels like an exquisite corpse like you wrote the movie up till he gets the girlfriend back and you're like do you have any idea and he's like I have an idea for a sequel <laughs> it's like we'll just make that the last scene what
1: well, so weird. I mean, and you could have taken this like a number of ways. Like this, this were as if this were uh, all of his insecurities. Right. The powers w- were enhancing all his all of his insecurities, and it was coming out in the form of this monster. Right. Yeah.
0: But no, this is blatantly a demon.
2: Well, but I, that's a, that's one of the biggest problems I have with this movie. Is I don't think that they ever condemn his insecurities. Mm-hmm. Like they never actually say that it's a bad thing. I don't know?
0: think they knew. I don't think they knew it was a bad thing.
2: That, that his his jealousy and anger and all of that was just fine?
0: Yeah, this is Chevy Chase is the, is the lead character of this movie and his friend was probably just like him. They probably both were like, yeah, this totally is what a guy valid. should do. Totally valid. He's the protagonist. Be- <laughs> People will side with him automatically. Ugh. Just like I am the protagonist in the real world. Max slides around the room, snorting up the entire white line that Dorita drew around the bed and screams directly into camera. Yeah!
1: <laughs> I like it.
0: then he sneezes and accidentally flips derita upside down mark kicks in the door to the room and shoots at max but the bullet stops in midair a foot in front of his face and then falls harmlessly to the bed actually really love this effect mm. the bullet smoking and hovering in midair and then falling to his lap it's pretty great he lifts mark off the ground and smashes his head through the ceiling into the attic Max climbs out onto the roof and grabs the lightning rod on the top of the house. Darcy climbs I think,
1: up. I think, I think he's actually grabbing the, the TV antenna. antenna. Okay, yeah. yeah.
0: Darcy climbs out after him, and roof tiles are sliding off the house under her feet. Well,
1: before before she gets she gets up into the attic, and she trips over Dabney Coleman's face.
0: Yeah, and it I, looks like she kicked him hard in the yeah, head. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm I'm imagining there was some kind of stop that yeah, off camera. Yeah, there had that we to be because it's
0: on the opposite side.
1: But it looked like he she really just got him. Yeah, it
0: looks like she rocks him hard in the head with her foot. But she climbs out onto the roof. And uh, a bird lands in Max's arms because that was just a joke. Yep. It's funny that a bird landed in his arms. Uh, And then he tosses it back to the wind. Darcy points out how scared she is to be up here and begs him to come back downstairs. You really do love me, don't you, Darcy?
2: Yes.
1: I
0: love you, too. Lightning strikes the antenna, and somehow, the camera angle from upstairs is broadcast to the TV in the kitchen where Dorita is packing to leave. The same green glow arcs out of the television and knocks Dorita back in her chair, presumably transferring the powers to her. The storm clears, and Max and Darcy notice that Randy followed them onto the roof. Randy is suddenly lifted into a pipe chimney from a potbelly stove in the kitchen, and the kitchen is now seen cleaning itself with Dorita's powers.
2: Okay. Oh, sorry. Proceed because I have a big problem with oh, yeah. the next we're moment. We're almost done here. Okay.
0: Max and Darcy cuddle and watch the sunrise from the roof, and we get a sort of highlight reel of character moments for their credits to appear again on screen.
2: So in this moment that that happens, she's like, Oh, did you do that? Like like I thought your powers were gone the mm-hmm. way she says it. And he's like, No, it wasn't it wasn't me, honest. But th- at no point did he tell her or show her that he no longer has these this right. possession or this dem, you know demonic power or whatever nuclear.
0: So why power? does she even know to ask? Why, why would she question? Why would what she question it? The and then
2: why would she believe him that he didn't do it when a mouse just floated through the air? Right. Yeah. And
0: and suddenly she starts having an orgasm. I don't
2: understand. It's like
0: Dorita's doing that. I'm so confused.
2: <laughs> like it's it's very. I just think, I just very think it's confusing. hot when
0: you lose your powers. But,
2: I don't know why she wants to be with him. He's so awful.
0: that's what it
1: said on the script. Yeah. And then why would Dorita with powers continue to do her cleaner
0: house?
2: She could do anything. Yeah. And she's just going to clean this dude's house while sitting down.
0: That's that's ecstasy for her. It's just cleaning someone else's house.
2: (laughs) Such a weird movie.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think um, I'm starting to realize that I don't like many Chevy Chase movies. (laughs) Like, It's like where he's the lead, like like. There's just
0: vacation and Fletch. That's it. Yeah,
1: and then, and everything else that he's in that I like is an ensemble or a buddy film, like Spies Like Us or Three Amigos. Yeah, Uh, Caddyshack.
0: Three Amigos. I left that one out.
1: Yeah, Caddyshack is like another. It's like it's like a big cast that he's a part of. Yeah, Um, and I. I still feel like Fletch was the role he was born to play. Yes, I agree.
0: Um, I, I mean, Clark Griswold is pretty perfectly suited to him. Yeah. But uh, Fletch is my favorite of his yeah. works. Yeah.
1: But all of these Chevy Chase movies that we've watched so far, I've not enjoyed.
0: No, they've been pretty rough.
1: Yeah. But what was the point of making giving him such a high-profile type job, like an air traffic controller?
0: Especially like, when it, it plays no part in the story. Yeah. I mean, he had to have a job.
1: Yeah, but that—that that to me is like, the whole concept of that is that it's an extremely high-stress job. Then that would think I would that would play into his character. But he's
0: never stressed.
1: Exactly. His issues aren't from having a very high-stress job. But it's, he
2: does have control issues.
1: Then that needs to come out <laughs> more in the in The control room.
2: <laughs> well, no, he's used to being able to control everything, mm. and when he can't control, so
0: they his so his that was that's literally the conversation they had, right? They were like, What would a really controlling person do for work? Mm. Uh, they'd be a controller. Is that a job? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you
1: handle money at a comp- corporation. No, no, yeah, no that's, that's a controller. Comp-
0: <laughs> I thought that was someone who trolls comps. <laughs> That's that thing.
1: Like, like different housing. Find people that are similar
0: to the people that you want to troll. (laughs) (laughs) I trolled several comps in your neighborhood. They really hated it when I did this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a comp troller. (laughs) Here's a big check. (laughs) <laughs> anyway that was a uh, modern problems for some reason this is called modern problems yeah call it anything
1: <laughs> i mean like i guess uh uh super fuzz was taken
0: yeah what was, it, teenage, what was that the teenage girl title
2: that you had earlier
0: <laughs> the teen what
2: the teenage girl
0: teenage communists teenage communists from space yeah, yeah. that's it they sure call it, it that, it that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, well even Why zapped? would you insult <laughs> Doug Kenny by changing the title from that? It makes as much sense as the title they went with. Well,
1: it was zapped before or after this? Zapped after. is after. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's 82. Yeah, this is a weird one. <laughs> it's a thumbs down. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's one interesting shot for me, which was the bullet stop. I thought it mm. looked pretty cool. Nothing else is I feel Nothing like, else is worth watching this,
2: I feel like the snapshot of him, like, covered in white powder and laughing with, like, yeah. maniacal hair is memorable, yeah. And I've definitely
0: seen that gif circulated,
2: yeah. But you know, like it's it's not super relevant to the movie,
0: except for that that's, like, a reenactment of how they wrote it, probably
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: I, I think a, a
1: a comparable movie with Chevy Chase, where he's got powers, is the Invisible Man.
0: And I, Which is also notoriously terrible.
1: Yeah, but I think it's much more watchable. And yeah, because it's,
0: it's John Carpenter behind the camera. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and it's got a much more interesting supporting cast. Yeah. And also Chevy Chase isn't in it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's all visual effects as if he was in it. Yeah.
0: Kind of like, oh, Heavenly Dog. Yeah. <laughs> Just his voice. Yeah, this was this was pretty rough. Um, what are we thinking Letterboxed. Oof. Were we all down on this one? Yeah, thumbs yeah. down for me.
2: You down with minor problems? No, thumbs down. Um, I have it at 141. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Uh, I have it below Pennies from Heaven, but above Dawn of the Mummy.
1: All right. Richard? Uh, I have it at 131. Um, puts it below Super Fuzz. I'd rather watch Super Fuzz well, yeah, A Man with Superfuzz. I mean, they're very similar films. Um, but it puts it above the boogans.
0: All right. I have it at 168. That's just under Saturday the 14th and just above Smokey Bites the Dust. The writer director here was Ken Shapiro. As I said, he previously directed sketch comedy film The Groove Tube, also starring Chevy Chase, and Shapiro himself as Coco the Clown. He basically retired from the entertainment industry after the failure of this film. Another writer here was Tom Sherriman, He played a waiter in the film. His only credits are a short film and two TV episodes between this and 1997's Mr. Magoo with Leslie Nielsen. (laughs) So there's quite a gap there. Um, The other writer, Arthur Sellers, played mobile supervisor somewhere in the film. Uh, What does mobile supervisor mean? I don't know. Must be somebody in the tower, right?
1: Um, I'm also thinking that the Mr. Magoo script was probably written a long time ago. Oh,
0: that's possible. Uh, Sellers previously wrote for The Richard Pryor Show and later a couple Max Headrooms and Earth 2, but nothing else I recognized. The music here came from Dominic Frontier, or Frontiere, who composed the theme to The Outer Limits and Rat Patrol. In the 70s, he scored Freebie and the Bean, Cleopatra Jones in the Casino of Gold, and The Gumball Rally. So far, we've heard his music in Defiance and The Stuntman. The cinematographer here was Edmund L. Coons, who previously lit Altman's Health. The editor was Michael Jablow. He later cut Throw Mama from the Train, The Naked Gun, Boomerang, Mom and Dad Saved the World, The Muppet Christmas Carol, My Boyfriend's Back, Muppet Treasure Island, Can't Hardly Wait, and 1994's Color of Night. Chevy Chase played Max Fiedler. Uh, He got his start on Saturday Night Live, obviously. He left to pursue a film career and found early success in films like Foul Play and Caddyshack, and continued failure with titles like Oh Heavenly Dog, Seems Like Old Times, Under the Rainbow, and This. Then he takes a break until his best work is Clark Griswold in the Vacation films and Erwin Fletch in the Fletch films. He also shows up in Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, Funny Farm, Shit Sequels Fletch 2 and Caddyshack 2. He's Nick Calloway in John Carpenter's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. He's himself in Last Action Hero. One of his last great roles was as Dr. Farthing in Bob Saget's Dirty Work, starring Norm Macdonald. He also found success as Pierce Hawthorne, racist moist towelette tycoon on Community, but epic clashes with showrunner Dan Harmon forced his early departure from the series. Lately, he's had a string of roles as the best friend of a past-their-prime celebrity in films like The Last Movie with Burt Reynolds, The Last Laugh with Richard Dreyfuss, and The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee with Paul Hogan. And then after that, he did a lot of cameos. (laughs) I think that's what he does mostly now. Patty Darbinville played Darcy. Before this, she was Sally in Big Wednesday and Shirley in Time After Time. We've seen her so far as Angie Barnes in our Minnesota review of Hogwild. Later, she's Sherry Nugle or Nugle in Real Genius and Shirley Trainer in Father's Day. So she played Sally, Shirley, Sherry, and Shirley. She was also Selena Davis in 27 episodes of Guiding Light. Rose Boscarelli in 16 episodes of Third Watch, and Ellie in 14 Rescue Me's. Dabney Coleman played Mark Winslow. We've seen him already in Nothing Personal, How to Beat the High Cost of Living, Melvin and Howard, the two Jane Fonda films, 9 to 5 and On Golden Pond. Later he'll show up in Cloak and Dagger, Man with One Red Shoe, War Games, and Clifford. Mary Kay Place played Lorraine. Before this she was Bernice Bennett in New York, New York. Loretta Haggers in 325 Mary Hartman, Mary Hartmans, and Teensa in More American Graffiti. We've seen her on the show in Private Benjamin, and later she appears in Explorers, Captain Ron, being John Malkovich. She was also the Surgeon General on The West Wing, Adeline Grant on Big Love, and Maria Bamford's Mom on Lady Dynamite, a Netflix series that I highly encourage people to check out, it's very funny. Nell Carter played Dorita, she's Nell Harper, In 137 episodes of Give Me a Break, she also won a Tony in 1978 for Best Performance by a Featured Actress in Ain't Misbehavin'. Brian Doyle Murray played Brian Stills, he was Lou Loomis in Caddyshack with Chevy. He co-stars with Chevy again as Frank Shirley, Clark Griswold's boss in Christmas Vacation. He's Noah Vanderhoff in Wayne's World, Buster in Groundhog Day, Earl Cross, Frank's father in the Scrooged Flashback, and the voices of the Flying Dutchman on SpongeBob and Captain Knuckles on The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. Yeah. And, of course, he's Bill's brother. Mitch Krindel played Barry. He was previously Dennis Watson in Being There, and so far on the show he was also a guard in The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Sandy Helberg played Pete. That was the other controller with the glasses uh, that worked with Chevy Chase. He was a biker eulogist in Loose Shoes last season. He was Officer Clark in Hollywood Nights, a sound engineer in The Jazz Singer, and a disciple in History of the World Part 1. Later, he's Irwin in Up the Creek, Dr. Schlotkin in Spaceballs, and a director in Mortal Kombat. Completely coincidentally, his wife Harriet B. Helberg, worked as a casting director on Loose Shoes, Hollywood Nights, The Jazz Singer, and Up the Creek. (laughs) His son, Simon, is Howard Wolowitz, one of the leads of The Big Bang Theory. Carl Irwin played controller number two. We've seen him now as a chauffeur in The Formula and a butcher in Paternity. Ronald E. House played Vendor. I guess that's the guy selling sandwiches. I would assume, yeah. He played a veteran in Loose Shoes. He was a guard in The Incredible Shrinking Woman and a dancer in Escape from New York. He was also a co-writer of Cheech Marin vehicle The Shrimp on the Barbie. Buzzy Linhart played the Tile Man. He previously showed up as the hitchhiker in director Shapiro's The Groove Tube. He's a singer of But You Gotta Have Friends and has lots of soundtrack credits from that. Henry Corden played Dubrovnik. He appears in The Asphalt Jungle, Viva Zapata, Scaramouche, a couple Abbott and Costello films. He was the Sheik of Sinai in The Ten Commandments, but he's probably best known for his voice work, and more specifically as the longest-running voice of Fred Flintstone, which he took over in 1965 and performed until 2005. That's the owner of the restaurant. Christine Nazareth played Redhead. She played Theater Girl in Groovetube and a Xanadu dancer in last year's Xanadu. Luke Andreas played Tough Guy. We've seen him so far as Vito in Up the Academy, Carter in Going Ape, Loader in and Loose and Somewhere in Pennies from Heaven. I don't have a credit character name yeah. for that. Uh, Vincenzo Gagliardi played singer. He was the cook in MacGyver episode Trumbo's World. Hey. And Pat Proft played the maitre d' at the restaurant. He's a comedy writer with credits on the Star Wars Holiday Special, Police Squad, Police Academy, which he created, Bachelor Party, Real Genius, The Naked Gun, Hot Shots, Part Un and Do, High School High, Mr. Magoo, Wrongfully Accused, and Scary Movies 3, 4, and 5. Those are all the credits I have for Modern Problems. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintagevideopod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Ragtime, which IMDb describes like so. A young black pianist becomes embroiled in the lives of an upper-class white family set among the racial tensions, infidelity, violence, and other nostalgic events in early 1900s New York City. We leave you now with the trailer for Ragtime.
1: What a time it was. It was a time when a nation lived out its wildest fantasies. When a sexual obsession triggered the murder of the century. It was a time bursting with life, passion and rebellion when a man's pride held a city for ransom it was the beginning of an incredible time when the famous and the faceless made history together bad time good time rag time